So we're continuing our, our vision series, um, the three parts of that. <clears throat> you all have well memorized now life with God, life with each other, and lights in the world. We're coming right to the end of the first piece of that, life with God. Here in the next few weeks, we'll be toggling over to life with each other. And, uh, and so <clears throat> this talk on um, fasting is actually still part of life with God. So 10 years ago plus, the elders felt like that God was leading us to lead the body into a time every January for three weeks to have a season of fasting. And we, we used that term fasting in a, in a very broad sense. Um, you know, we would talk about fasting from food, fasting from social media, fasting from TV, fasting from speaking harshly to my spouse. Just kidding on that one. You don't get to, to uh, fast from sin. That's a separate category. So, um, but we, um, <clears throat> we've, we've used that term fasting in a, in a broad sense, which is okay. You know, as you, as you study the scripture on fasting, fasting is actually refers in the Bible to not eating food. So you could probably say that a better term to use for fasting from social media and things like that would actually be abstaining um, from those things. And as you think about the next three weeks and the fast that you're uh, going to be walking through starting tomorrow for three weeks, let me encourage you to include both of those two broad categories of fasting from food and fasting from non-food or abstaining. They're both great pieces to our relationship with God. Uh, and so let me encourage you to, to consider both of those. <clears throat> the, the rest of my comments tonight, though, are gonna be about fasting from food. And I wanna confess up front right now that I am not coming to you from a place of talking about this, from a place of strength, experience, success, um, you know, and victory, and encouraging you to emulate me. Um, I honestly volunteered to speak tonight because I wanted to do a lot of study on fasting. And I really, it's just one of those topics that I realized I just haven't done enough uh, study on this. And so this last month has been incredible. And I have absolutely loved it. And it has uh, lit me up to want to fast um, and to engage more in fasting. Um, and I also just want to say thank you to several of you in our body that are 
further down the road than me in fasting, and I've been watching some of the things you've been doing um, and, um, and learning from you. Uh, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, Bob. Um, and uh, just very grateful for people in our body as well as all of the scripture and the books and the things that I've uh, been able to read about this. You know, several authors that I read have all said some version of the same thing, and that is <clears throat> no practice of Jesus is more neglected than fasting, especially in the Western church. You know, fasting is actually not a command of Jesus, like you would have a command that would be like one of his commands of, if any man wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So we are told, though, to deny, that denying ourselves is a part of the walk with Jesus. You know, in, uh, in Matthew 6, Jesus in the... Uh, Sermon on the Mount is saying, thing, he's saying things like, when you fast, here's how to do it. No mention of how often, how long, can you drink water? None, none of those details come out in that. It's just basically, when you fast, don't do it like the Pharisees <laughs> in order to be seen and honored in public, but do it in private. And your father, who sees you in secret, will reward you in public. So what about the Old Testament? Was there a command in the Old Testament to fast? There actually was. But I see only one time where there was a command to fast, and it, and the Israelites were to fast one time per year for 24 hours on the Day of Atonement, the seventh day of the month, the tenth day of that month, seventh day of the year, tenth day. And, and so there was that one fast, one 24-hour fast that was mentioned, but there were over 40 references in the Old Testament to fasting and over 30 references in the New Testament to fasting. So over 70 references in the Bible to fasting, which I think you could say that gives us a sense that it, it must have been a valuable, impactful, important thing to do. And um, so what, what I want to do is I want to share with you three things in my research study on this topic that are the, the three reasons that most deeply are inspiring me to fast more. Three things that are, that are most prevalent in my mind of, yeah, that's, that's significant, and, and it makes me want to fast more. So, what's the first one? <clears throat> the first one 
comes from, and, and this is one that I didn't um, have any experience with um, previously. It was kind of one of those, okay, that's kind of coming a little bit out of left field. Um, so as we look up on the screen at Matthew 9, um, you'll see that the disciples of John came to Jesus and said, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. So here's Jesus making a pretty clear statement that not, again, not a command that you must fast, but a, a statement that once he's gone, he's gonna be here on earth for a while, then he's gonna go back to the Father, and when that happens, then his disciples will fast. And, and isn't it interesting that he says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? So he seems to be saying, you know, when I'm here on earth, I'm with you, there's, there's no need to mourn, but when I leave, there is a reason to mourn and fast. So we still live in that period of time. Since he left and he hasn't come back yet, and it's in that time where that we find ourselves saying, hmm, interesting. There is a measure of which we should be mourning that the bridegroom is not with us. And, and asking God to send Jesus back, send our bridegroom back to get the bride. This actually comes <clears throat> from a, uh, a book that uh, John Piper wrote on this uh, topic. And um, it's, it's a fascinating um, concept that in his book called A Hunger for God by John Piper. And he, uh, he talks about that the... that one of the things that we focus on as a church is the Lord's Supper. And, and that the Lord's Supper is looking back at what Jesus did for us. And he says that he believes that fasting is looking ahead at the return of Jesus. And that we should, that our heart's desire should be to express in that prayer and fasting, how much we desire to be with the Lord. Listen to this quote by Piper. He says, by fasting, we look to the future with an aching in our hearts, saying, yes, he came. Yes, what he did for us is glorious. But precisely because of what we have seen and what we have tasted, 
We feel keenly his absence as well as his presence. The bridegroom has gone away. He is not here. He was here, and he loved us to the uttermost. And we can eat and even celebrate with feasting because he has come. But this we also know. He is not here the way he once was. As Paul said, while we were at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. And his absence is painful. Kind of raises a question, doesn't it? Of how much do we feel that? How much do we actually taste that? That his absence is painful. And that that could actually cause our hearts to want to reach out and fast and declare to Jesus, I'm, I'm missing you. I want you. And, um, you know, one, one of the, the reasons that I think, particularly in America, that this is challenging for us to, to really grab our arms around and implement it, is that because God is such an amazing gift giver now while we're here on earth, which makes a lot of things on earth appealing. And we have been blessed with so much and one of those blessings is food. You know, when I think of giving gifts and, and think about God being a gift giver, I, I'm, I'm reminded of what happened just a week ago at Christmas in our house and in the giving and receiving of gifts Christmas to me is both inspiring and convicting. As I watch one of the best gift givers I know, my wife, who puts so much thought into her gifts and, and what would create an experience of being known and loved by the gift she gives. Every year it convicts me, I need to be, I want to be more like her. She actually reminds me a lot of Jesus because I have come to believe that he is the best gift giver that has ever lived in the universe. So what are some of the gifts of God? They start with his giving us something beautiful called life, eternal life giving us forgiveness when we put our trust in Christ, followed by offering us a fresh start every time we sin and then truly repent. What else does he give? He gives me what I need financially. He gives me love in his word and through people. He gives me hope when I'm discouraged. He gives me affection, telling me he loves me. He gives me attention. 
as he listens to me attentively. He gives me fruitful, productive work to do. He provides the Holy Spirit to live in us and do amazing things like guide us and comfort us in our pain. And he gives us food to enjoy, which I enjoyed way too much of over the last two weeks. Matthew 7 and other verses remind us of God's heart as a giver. And you know, one of the challenges that I have in, in this life is that my flesh gravitates towards loving the gifts more than the giver. Why do I say this? Well, how do I feel when the gifts of God dry up or they come too slowly? I feel empty, frustrated, anxious, lonely, unloved, mad, entitled. So have you ever seen an example in the scripture of someone that actually did the opposite of that, that actually loved the giver more than the gifts? King David did that in the Psalms. He's a good example, but Habakkuk is another one. As you look at this scripture on this slide, Habakkuk 3 says, though the fig tree there's like six things here that are not going well for Habakkuk. And then we're going to see his response. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. That's, that's everything he's got. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I don't know, that just, to me, that just feels like somebody who is saying, there's a difference between gifts and the giver. And the gifts come and go, and they're beautiful when that you receive them. They're awesome. And God is so generous, but they don't always flow in the time and the way that we want. And then that leaves us with the giver. And so what is, is our heart so aligned in understanding that my focus is really on the giver and not the gifts? So, how in the world could you and I become more like Habakkuk, focusing on the giver more than the gifts? I, it, that's a, probably a whole sermon in and of itself, but let me just give you one idea, and that is, I think that if we, that we have to focus on the giver when the gifts are good, so that when the gifts are gone, we're still focused on the giver. In other words, our tendency is to focus on the gift, not the giver, whenever things are going well. 
when you get that year-end bonus or um, that um, relationship reconciles that's been difficult. How does that lead you toward the giver of that gift? And I think that when we focus on the giver in the good times, that can help us focus on the heart of the giver when they're not coming in the same way. So do you see the challenge that we have? We can so easily operate with a life equation that says God equals his gifts. Good gifts equals good God. And often we don't even realize that we're equating the gift and the giver in the way that we do. You know, in that Matthew 9 scripture where Jesus is talking about him being the bridegroom and we're the bride, that's such a, a loving, beautiful picture of our relationship with Jesus. You think about in the best marriage, you have love, intimacy, fidelity, commitment, truthfulness, security, respect, and many other characteristics. And Jesus wants us to see our relationship with him as having all of that beauty. And some of that beauty we get to taste now on earth, but some of it won't happen until heaven. And therefore, we should have a certain longing or aching that says, Jesus, I want more of you. Please come get your bride. And that could lead us to fast. And in that fasting to declare, Jesus, I love you more than food. I love you more than your gifts. You know, in John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come to give you abundant life. But even the awesome abundance of the life he is giving us is nothing like the beauty of the life we will have with him in heaven as our bridegroom. And our hearts should ache somewhat that we don't yet have our bridegroom. Honestly, my heart doesn't ache enough. It doesn't ache as much as I think it will, as much as it should. And I think that's largely because I'm so comfortable with the bridegroom's gifts. So this first point of what is motivating me is to say that I, I want to love the bridegroom more than his gifts and to begin to include in my fasting um, and to use fasting to help that along so that part of the time when I'm fasting, I'm crying out and I'm saying, 
Lord, this is a little painful, being in a fast, not eating, sitting totally comfortable, and it's just reminding and I, I, I can't wait until you come back and, and get your bride. Please come back and get your bride soon. So the second reason that I've been encouraged um, in this whole journey of fasting and prayer is the advance of the kingdom of God that results from times of fasting. So you remember a story where the disciples asked Jesus, hey, we couldn't cast this demon out. Why not? And he said, well, that actually is one that only comes out with prayer and fasting. So in that situation, fasting is needed in order to advance the kingdom and get rid of that demonic activity. <clears throat> so there was a city in, in Israel um, in Jesus' time called Antioch. And several of the disciples were meeting in Antioch one day in the book of Acts. You can see this in the slide uh, that we're putting up on Acts 13.2. And they were contemplating the steps of what, God, what do you want to do next? How are you wanting to advance your kingdom? And, and Saul and Barnabas were part of that and a few other disciples. And, and they said, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And off they went to spread the gospel west of Israel, Philippi, Colossae, Thessalonica, all of those places, and, and all the non-Israelites, the, the non-Jewish people, which ultimately includes you and, and me. And so it was, so the gospel spreading across the world got launched in a time of fasting, where they were listening. They were praying and fasting and listening and asking God, God, what do we do next? And so fasting is powerful in times like that. You know, when Jesus fasted 40 days, uh, at the end of that, Satan shows up and starts trying to tempt him. And uh, fortunately, Jesus responds really well and um, pushes back all of Satan's strategies. Look at this quote by John Piper. If Satan had succeeded in deterring Jesus from the path of humble sacrificial obedience, there would be no salvation we would still be in our sins and without hope. Therefore, we owe our salvation in some measure, not to overstate it, to the fasting of Jesus. This is a remarkable tribute to fasting. 
So, pretty powerful role that fasting played to advance the kingdom um, in, in and through Jesus' life. John Tyson said he believes the best way to hear the voice of God is through fasting. We need to hear God's voice in order to participate with him in the advance of his kingdom. You know, 2023 is going to be a big year for Hope Church as we uh, finish out in a few months our own building. And we have a lot of thing, exciting things that we are praying through uh, God doing in and through Hope uh, in that new building. And I hope that over these next three weeks that as you pray and fast that you will, will really include in that um, uh, just a, a prayer and fasting over this season of, of God, what is it that you want to do? Stacy and I are, um, even this last three days, been talking about our plans for 2023 and our marriage ministry that, we've, that we really launched in 2022 where we taught this Keeping Marriages Healthy material three times. We're going to do it every six months at a minimum and um, we can't wait. We're doing this, you heard the announcement from Jonathan, we're doing this next one at Ambrose's house, which has been incredible location. But ultimately, we're looking forward to being able to do that at our own new building. And, and we just, we think that uh, we're gonna be able to take that into the community more to where we can actually help marriages in this Jersey Village uh, community. And so Stacy and I are going to be fasting and praying um, for God's, for the advance of his kingdom uh, in that aspect of our lives. You know, most of my fasting in my life has been in the last 10 years, in January. And very little of that fasting has been food fasting. Most of it um, I've, I've primarily been an abstainer, and, uh, and, and, and that's one of the things that I am really excited about with this fast coming up, to be doing some both fasting and abstaining. And I'm, I'm really excited because I know that um, so many of you are embracing this fast and, and are excited about it. And uh, uh, I'm just excited to see what's gonna come out of it. So, so the second area is just the role of fasting in advance of um, God's kingdom. The third area of fasting is to tame the flesh. Um, You know, some historians have observed that it seems that up to the 1700s, it was normal that followers of Jesus would fast twice a week. And it was largely for the purpose to starve the flesh and feed the spirit. Look at this quote by John Mark Comer. Fasting is practicing suffering. It's teaching our bodies to suffer. Suffering is unavoidable in life. 
joy is not. In fasting, we're learning how to suffer with joy. He also said that, John Mark Comer also said that anytime he is coaching someone that has an addiction, he usually always guides them toward fasting. Look at this next quote. The pervasive idol in America is comfort. <laughs> you didn't see that one coming, did you, Stace? <laughs> she just said that yesterday when we were talking, and I thought, oh, she's going to see that again soon. <laughs> but isn't that true? The pervasive idol in America is comfort. And I can say it's probably the pervasive idol in my life. Richard Foster said in the celebration of discipline that more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. You know, in closing, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. You know, the elders don't want you to feel pressure in this fasting. We don't want you to feel guilty in it. We don't want you to feel like it's a legalistic thing. We actually want you to have a joyful pursuit of it to say, you know what? I think there's something here to this that maybe I need to take to the next level. Maybe I've done it out of just routine because the whole church is doing it and maybe it's time for me to actually embrace it in my own being my own heart. Maybe you need to read a book about fasting. That Piper book would be a good one if, um, if you want to do that over the next three weeks. I've had that thought of maybe I wonder if, if every year during the fast I should just read a book about fasting. So in conclusion, what if you say, okay, Randy, those are three legit reasons for fasting. Those are three motivating reasons to do it. What do you recommend in how to just get started? What does that look like? You talking about a 10-day fast or a, a one-meal fast? You know, and interestingly, the scripture doesn't give us any direction on what a fast should look like in terms of the length. There were fasts you know, one day, seven day, 40 day, two a week, one a week. They're just all over the map in the Bible. But let me encourage you to consider this. One of the ways that several of you are doing and that I've embraced recently is to do a 24-hour fast. It's, it, it basically is from evening meal to evening meal which means you're basically skipping breakfast and lunch. And I, I've been doing that periodically, and this last week I decided to dive 
a little bit more into the deep end, and I, I did that three times in the last seven days, last Monday, Tuesday, and yesterday. And I really said that was motivating and convicting because I realized, you know, in 38 years of marriage, I don't think I've ever done a 24-hour fast for my wife. And, and it was the most incredible thing. And it, it just, I prayed for Stacy more yesterday than I've prayed for her in any one 24-hour period of time. And I'm gonna continue to repeat and do more 24-hour fasts specifically for her and others. So, um, so let me encourage you to, to consider if you're looking for a way to do a food fast um, over these next three weeks to do that. Some of you have been doing that for a long time and you're, you, you know, God might put on your heart to go to another level of doing a three-day fast or seven-day fast or something uh, even greater. Um, but it's, it's going to be, um, it's, this next three weeks is going to be incredible. And the elders are going to be praying for you that you embrace and hear uh, God's voice in a new way and that you see the love of God in a new way and that you feel the bridegroom the love of the bridegroom in a new way, and it makes you just want to fast and say, Lord Jesus, come, come get your bride. And, um, and, and until that happens, advance your kingdom and kill the sin in my flesh and, um, and just light me up with um, the ability to walk in the Spirit. Father, I just thank you so much for the, the beauty of fasting, the role of fasting in our lives, and I just pray that you would, um, would just use this next three weeks in a powerful way in each one of our lives. And um, I just pray that, um, that our intimacy with Jesus, our love for Jesus would, would grow and the kingdom would expand and, the, and sin, uh, thing, sin struggles that we're struggling with would be broken as we deny ourselves in fasting. So we just uh, thank you for this time tonight. Now, in Jesus' name.